The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. And welcome to Spectrumly Speaking. I'm Haley Moss, an author, artist, attorney, and I'm also autistic. Every week I get to share the fantastic Spectrumly stage with my one and only co-host. Hi, I'm Dr. Lori Butts. I'm a psychologist and an attorney. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I feel like I am doing pretty well. I got to relax a little bit this week, which I feel like is almost unheard of. Yes, that's awesome. I feel like everybody needs a little bit of relaxation in their lives and kind of just giving yourself permission to be like, hey, I can step back from some stuff for a little bit. I can breathe. I can sleep a little bit more and attempt to keep those New Year's resolutions or whatever going because I know that we're at the point in the year where folks may or may not have given up. Right. (laughs) I'm trying not to be that person. Well, every day you can start over again. It doesn't have to be, you know. Exactly. I noticed that, especially if you go out to say like gyms and stuff, you realize they're super crowded and then all of a sudden it just jumps off. Right. Right. I noticed that almost every year and it's really funny to me. (laughs) <laughs> it is it is but people have to understand that you just have to recommit every day <laughs> yep. pretty much I think the reason it really confuses me with gyms in particular is folks are paying every month or every couple weeks or whatever to be here or not be here and if they are choosing to just give up on the resolution I'm like wow look at that commitment you you made this financial commitment and you just kind of let it go but you didn't give up on the financial commitment part of it, just the physical part of it. Right. Okay. Right. It just doesn't make sense in my brain. <laughs> it makes sense financial-wise for the gyms, that's for sure. Yeah, but for the person, it's like, if you're going to decommit, go all out and you're decommit. Right. <laughs> like decommit the, the payment plan and the, the rest of it. Right. <laughs> this is such a mystery to me. I don't, it, <laughs> it defies logic, but that's neither here nor there. Right. Mm. But we are talking about adventure and getting out there and doing all sorts of amazing stuff. And we have a very cool guest to meet today. I'm so excited. Me too. So today we are welcoming our new friend, Allie Mason. And Allie Mason is an autistic children's author with her first book, The Autistic Guide to Adventure, publishing this year in 2023. She lives in the English countryside with her partner and their beloved Labrador. The purpose of her writing is to give neurodivergent young people a place where they recognize themselves and feel that they belong. Full disclosure, I got to read an advanced copy of Allie's book and get to write something for hopefully the back cover. And I'm so excited to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much. That was so many kind words to start off with. We genuinely love our guests and having you is an honor for us. So to kind of start us from the beginning, would you mind sharing with listeners how you became involved in the autism community? Absolutely. So I was a uh, a late diagnosed autistic. I didn't get diagnosed until I was 23 years old um, and that was back in 2020. Um, and interestingly enough, 
Um, as I was growing up, my mum worked in a special educational needs school with autistic children. And yet she came home every day and didn't recognize that she had one in her own house. So we always laugh about that. Um, but yeah, I got my formal diagnosis in 2020, but I've been kind of living as a, a self-diagnosed autistic person since 2019, which is when I had the personal revelation that this was my brain and the reason why it works in certain ways. Um, and off the back of that, I just have met and talked to and got to know so many other amazing autistic and neurodivergent people. And now I'm kind of a part of this community. I've got this found family, which is really, really exciting. And I get to do amazing things like this podcast. <laughs> what got you into writing and why, why specifically for kids, for children? So I have been writing ever since I was a small child. It's very much the cliche of being a writer has been my dream for as long as I can remember. Um, and I used to write really long and complicated stories as a child. Um, and I remember when I was maybe uh, 10 or 11, I entered what I didn't realize was an adult novel competition with my own novel that I had written at 10 years old. Um, and so, yeah, I've just kind of always been writing and it's always been how I've expressed myself. Um, and it's something that I've always um, been quite good at in terms of receiving praise and people encouraging me and, and wanting to read what I've written. So I think it kind of snowballed from there. Um, and then to answer the second part of your question, why children? Um, I think that there can be a lot of expectations around what adult writing looks like, like writing for adults. It's kind of, I don't really know how to put it into words, but I feel like there's a lot of of expectations and there's a lot of kind of etiquette around it if you like whereas writing for kids you have so much more freedom um, and I don't necessarily believe that it it should be that way I think that there should definitely be more room for for playful writing uh, in the adult sphere but that's kind of what drew me to it primarily was just being able to to express myself creatively in that playful way. I'm always so um I can't say I can't even think of the right word. I'm, uh, <laughs> I admire people who write because I just don't have that creative piece. And I love that, that this has been your passion and your dream. That's just, it's just amazing. Thank I, you. I admire anyone who wants to write for young people and children in particular, because I feel like the older we get, the harder it is sometimes, or if you're not around kids a lot, That's to true. figure out how to make things approachable and fun for them. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because I've always found, for example, if I'm in a social situation and there's a kid's table, I will go and sit at the kid's table because I just feel more comfortable there. And I think it's because there are so fewer, um, I'm going to use the word expectations a lot, but yeah, expectations and kind of mm -hmm. understandings of societal norms and stuff. So for me, getting into that headspace oh. is really easy because it's kind of where I prefer to be. 
That makes a lot of sense. I also like the kids table at those bigger social gatherings. Like, and something else I've noticed about the kids table is they get served earlier. So if you're someone who is always really hungry, they have better <laughs> food and you get it before the adults do. I know that's kind of a strange observation, but that's something. Great I observation. You're so right. Every it's time so I've attended like birthday parties, barn bought mitzvahs, weddings, that's always how it goes. And it makes me so grateful every time. And then you see all these like little tiny people and then you see adult me and then you see a bunch of little tiny people in the line. Yeah, but it, it's so true. And I think that's really interesting because I am somebody who gets very hangry and I have a bit of a reputation within my kind of uh, family and friend circles of being that person where if I'm not fed, I'm quite difficult to be around. So maybe that's also been what's drawing me to those kiddie tables. <laughs> me too. And then I realized that the other adults realized, oh, you're on to something that you got to the line first. And then all of a sudden you see a bunch of other adults lining up behind the children. And it just never gets old to me every time that happens. <laughs> but kind of to go back to where we started with writing, I I personally know quite a bit about your new book, but I want everyone else to learn a bit more about the autistic guide to adventure can you share more with us of course absolutely it, it's so exciting to me first off that you've read it already <laughs> so um I'm definitely gonna have to ask you what you thought later on in the podcast but uh in terms of what the book is about so the autistic guide to adventure is what I would describe as a handbook so it's a compilation of 35 different activities that get autistic kids and young people outdoors and involved in nature um and there's a real variety of activities in there we've got kind of your traditional sports things like um swimming um and running and cycling and and that kind of stuff but then there are also some more um creative activities so we have things like drawing and nature writing and then some of my favorite activities to research and write about were what I've called finding and identifying activities so they are things like foraging and beachcombing and fossil hunting all that stuff that our brains are like naturally wired to be amazing at but you wouldn't necessarily think of doing on your average Saturday morning so yeah that's kind of a an overview of what's in the book and the idea is that um you can dip in and out of it um depending on what you're feeling like the activities are all split into um little kind of fact sheets that take you through um what sensory expectations to have and how to get started and what kits involved um and what kind of like social um expectations there are for that activity so just trying to cover all bases really because when I was growing up and I wanted to get involved in all this kind of stuff there were a lot of invisible barriers there for me that I now realize were things like uh, sensory difficulties and difficulties in social situations so being able to provide that in advance for people I'm hoping is going to really um enable them to feel confident and comfortable in what might be trying a new activity for the very first time. 
How do you feel children's books in general are doing in terms of recognizing autistic readers? <laughs> Badly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think that um, when children's books do recognize um, autistic or neurodivergent characters, it's always a stereotype at the moment. So I don't necessarily see a lot of representation um, of kids who were who are like I was, for example, or kids who don't fit that very specific young white boy playing with trains kind right. of scenario. <laughs> right. And and so how how do you think the industry can improve? I think there needs to be more autistic authors to start with. I think that it's really important that these stories come from the perspective of uh, people who have that lived experience and um, also people who come from a range of different backgrounds, whether that's their gender, their sexuality, their socioeconomic upbringing, race, etc., religion, um, I think it's really important that the way that being neurodivergent or being autistic intersects with those different identities needs to be explored more. Um, but I feel like that's kind of stage five and we're, we're currently at stage one or two. So right. it's got a long way to go until we get there. Right. Right. There really is so much work to do in that representation space too. And I feel like something that's frustrating when you have a lot of these very neurotypical, bi-neurotypical, four neurotypical stories about autism. So it it almost ignores that autistic readers exist. Mm. That's Definitely. Kind I, of, I think, I think that you could that. argue that they're written more for kind of like parents and family of autistic people. Mm. Um, so they kind of recognize what they experience in these books. But I wouldn't say that the autistic readers themselves necessarily recognize themselves in the books that's how I actually felt so I I grew up in the 90s and I remember reading the babysitter's club and I loved those books <laughs> you know, but there was one that was about an autistic character and she was largely non-speaking fit this very savant stereotype gifted piano player can recall dates at the drop of a hat one of those type folks mm. and the language was so outdated as well because it was written in 1990. And I remember this was my only frame of reference about autism growing up until I was about nine and my parents told me I was autistic. And mm. I remember having to reconcile this information I was being told with the babysitter's club and being a little <laughs> bit confused because I think she, the character in the babysitter's club had what is formerly known as Rett syndrome. As we know, everything kind of got folded into one big ASD diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But still, I felt like I don't have that. I'm very talkative, except I'm shy. And I am not going away to some special school. Like I was trying to make sense of all this information in my little nine-year-old brain. So I yeah. do feel like there's a lot here to think about. But Def definitely. Representation, I feel like can be its entire own conversation and easily take away from what we're trying to do here so kind of go back to you and all the really cool stuff that you were telling us about 
what else are you working on next? I mean, I'm really excited to see your first book out in the world. And I am honestly excited to know what else you're up to. Well, thank you. Um, So I have a couple of kind of conferences coming up which is really exciting so off the the back of the book and kind of people understanding what I'm advocating for I've been invited to speak at um, a conference on inclusive sport later this year which I'm really looking forward to and I'm also going to be running a workshop um, at a conference on outdoor accessibility so just making sure that autism and wider neurodiversity is covered within those conversations because I think often when we talk about um, inclusivity in sport and the outdoors people think um, visible disabilities for example or they'll think about um, race or sexuality or gender and we don't have very much out there at the moment talking about neurodiversity uh, and invisible disabilities and things like that so I'm really excited for that um, and very hopeful that book two might be a thing um, I'm I'm very much overwhelmed with ideas and not sure which one to pursue at the moment but um, when I narrow it down we'll hopefully get book two and then three and then four <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works Laurie that's how it works <laughs> I think that's exactly what ends up happening too is that you're excited to go what with what's next and then you're like oh my gosh I gotta actually do the thing again mm, and I hope yeah. you get to visit us across the pond sometime too that would be extremely cool I would love that I actually recently came back from a trip to the Pacific Northwest so we went to um, Seattle and drove across to Montana and then to Yellowstone and I absolutely loved it. So definitely top of my travel list is to come back stateside. You've done a trip that I would also love to do someday. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a great adventure and use use along some of your stuff as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that's what I need to do. I think I need to plan a really big adventure and write a book about that. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah. So how can we also stay in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing too? So I have my own website, um, which is www.allyrote.com. Um, and you can also find me on social media. I'm on uh, Instagram and very occasionally TikTok. Um, and that's uh, Ali wrote there as well, which is a double So we're going to actually transition a little bit from our interview portion. We're going to talk more about how we can explore athleticism, activities, and active lifestyles for those on the spectrum. And I know that for some of us, Being an athlete might seem completely out of reach. I certainly was no athlete. My athletic experience in life and sports teams and stuff was pretty limited. I rode horses as a child, had a career-ending injury, tried to join my high school's rowing team, and passed out the first day of practice on the water. So my athletic career never quite took off. (laughs) That doesn't mean that it shouldn't be accessible or something new to try. And how can we get into this 
safely, I think, because I, I personally do not feel like I have the body awareness sometimes. And I am the person that even looking at some of the different activities that you've outlined in your book, like things like archery or hiking and stuff, I'm like, I feel like I might hurt myself right away. I don't know where <laughs> I am in space. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that, Haley. Like I was never um particularly active and sporty as a child and as an adult, not only does that in itself mean that I'm not particularly confident with with trying these different sports but you add in the aspects of being autistic and it's just double trouble isn't it um so I think in terms of how to be safe in doing these activities definitely if you're doing something which uh involves a, a coach or a team or there's kind of supervisors around then your best bet um, is to have a conversation about where you're where you should be and what you should be doing and what you should be touching and not touching so for example um, in the book when I talk about sailing one of the recommendations that we have is that you ask your uh, leader or trainer or whoever it is to put sticky tape markers on the boat to show you where to stand so that you don't go flying off the side in the middle of the water um but yeah things like that can be so simple and so inexpensive as well like accommodations don't have to be expensive mm-hmm. the 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 issue i mean we talk about accommodations often on the on the show and i it, it i always kind of go back to but it takes somebody who has the the courage or the strength or whatever word you want to put to be able to speak up for themselves. And to me, like that's one, that's a big hurdle for a lot of people. Yes, a hundred percent. And I think I talk about this in the book because the reason why I wanted to write it and to have it available for people is because the only reason I'm kind of not the only reason, but one of the biggest reasons that I'm doing so well in terms of trying different activities and Uh, having a go at different sports is the fact that I am able to advocate for myself I do have um, that confidence I am comfortable saying I'm autistic and this is what I need but that has come from a lot of research and a lot of conversations with other autistic people and a lot of practice as well you know in the beginning when I was first diagnosed and I decided that I was going to pursue the active lifestyle that I'd always wanted um I wasn't necessarily particularly good at advocating for myself and that's something that the more you do it the more the more comfortable you become um but having resources like my book available is going to play a big part in people knowing what to say like just knowing what words to use to be able to ask for these things mm-hmm. I also love when we talk about adventure, it doesn't mean you have to be active in the way that you think you do, but a lot of it just means getting outside of your comfort zone. So for instance, even going, you talk in your book as well about things like beachcombing and photography and drawing like things in the arts and just kind of just getting outside and touching nature essentially. So I really like that when we talk about what it means to have an adventure or an active lifestyle, it doesn't mean you have to be a great runner or any of that too. So how did that kind of come about too? I think is when we talk about adventure, that it doesn't mean you have to push yourself too far 
to the point of say meltdowns or shutdowns or just a complete overwhelm. So I love that you told us what to expect sensory wise for literally everything. (laughs) (laughs) I think you've hit on a really, really important point there. And that is that when I first started thinking about the book, the whole idea of it being an autistic guide to adventure specifically was the fact that adventure should not be inaccessible to autistic people. And if it's going to be defined very narrowly in terms of going on big expeditions and exploring wilderness and climbing ice mountains and whatever else, then that's not something that the majority of the autistic population can even consider doing. Um, And so I wanted to turn that narrative on its head and kind of talk about, well, how can you include adventure in your everyday life when you have sensory difficulties or you are prone to shutdowns and meltdowns um, or you might need additional support? um, You might need somebody there with you when other people can do it on their own. And that's that shouldn't be something that people feel ashamed of or embarrassed of it's something that should empower them because they know what they need in order to achieve what they want to achieve Mm -hmm. I just appreciate that there really is something for everybody and I think this is something that's really interesting is you never know where these types of adventures are just trying something outside of your comfort zone just a little bit or just trying to get outside where it can lead you so there's things that I know even when I got to read advanced copy, I was like, oh, this is something I might want to check out sometime or I didn't realize that I've been doing, but I enjoyed it anyway. So yeah. I love that there, because I think a lot of us, especially as we hit our adult lives, that work and family obligations and so much other stuff kind of just takes control. Mm-hmm. Take that front seat that we forget. What do we enjoy and what do we want to try? Or we can still try something new that you're not too old or too far gone to try something. Definitely. And also, if there was something that you enjoyed as a child that you haven't done for many years, then I hope that people will feel encouraged to revisit that. Um, Because that was something that happened for me is that when I was a kid, I absolutely loved roller skating. Um, And I have a picture up on my bookshelf um, of me, probably about I want to say four years old in my very first pair of roller skates with my granddad. Um, and I I kind of drifted away from that as a teenager. You know, you become self-conscious and you get so busy with school and various other things. Life gets in the way. Um, and then you get like me to the age of 24 and you think, oh, my goodness, I loved roller skating, but I haven't put on a pair of roller skates in many many years um so yeah that's a that's a really good point that sounds like on so on a previous episode in one of our beginning phases I'm pretty sure I talked about how I love drawing and painting and I feel like I just didn't have time for it and I bought a huge set of markers that I never would have bought when I was younger because they were artist markers they were expensive or something and I'm like now I can do this and I was so excited (laughs) to get to use them and just create and have fun the way that I would when I was younger. And there wasn't really any pressure to do it, or there wasn't any pressure to be anything other than just a kid. And I think yeah. that's also something that I appreciate that much more about doing something creative at this point. I'm like, oh, I could just zone out for a little bit. I can go have fun. I can do something else. Cool. Yeah. And also the idea that it doesn't have to be to 
a specific end. So I think that there's a lot of um, conversation online around kind of hustle culture and always having to work and turning your hobbies into your job, et cetera, yep. et cetera, et cetera. I, I and, tried turning it into my job and it made me super stressed. So yeah. <laughs> I am happier with creating as a hobby than a job. Exactly. People need to know that that's an option. Like you can just have fun. You don't have to be getting yeah. paid for it. You don't even have to be good at it as long as you're enjoying yourself. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Really. And I think that's something that feels really important about this conversation is it's just about having a good time. It's not about making it to the Olympics. It's not about (laughs) being competitive. It's not about making money. It's just about doing something that makes you feel something. Yeah. Um, And one of the things. Exactly. Like that's kind of the big takeaway that I'm getting. Yeah. One of the things that was really important to me about So also within the book, there are um, profiles of different, um, I call them athletes, but they're not all athletes. Um, Hobbyists is probably a more accurate word, but there are profiles of different autistic people who regularly do the activity, um, talking about what their experience of it has been like. And some of these people are professionals, you know, for example, we've got Sam Holness in there, who's a professional autistic triathlete. Um, So he's talking about it from a very uh, professional point of view of he's found something that he loves and he's made it into a job. Um, But then we also have people like Stu Watson in the cycling section. Um, Cycling is not his job. He's not paid to do that. He just does it because he loves it. Um, And so it was really important for me to make sure that there was a wide range of representation in there so that people didn't read the book and think I was saying you've all got to be Olympic athletes right now Mm -hmm. I think that's perfect and I feel like that's such a great note to send folks off with is hey you don't have to be this big you don't have to overthink it you don't need to be perfect you just need to try something go have fun and do something that brings you joy or that makes you feel like you're if you want to move your body that feels healthy and safe and enjoyable for you that there's no other kind of pretense behind it almost yeah a hundred percent and if you try something and you don't like it that's cool as well like it's a journey of learning what you enjoy and what you don't and if you give have a go at something and you're like well this one's not for me there's there's so much else that you can try Um, And maybe you'll spend your whole life trying, but you'll learn so much during that point. Um, Yeah. I love that. And I think that's a great note to sign off on this conversation. So thank you, Allie, for joining us. You should definitely be checking out her new book, The Autistic Guide to Adventure. It's going to be out this year. I am pretty sure it is something that you are going to want to have in your library. It's something that I feel very grateful to already have in my library. (laughs) So. But to me, that's just like the wildest thing. And I'm so grateful that you and Jessica Kingsley Publishers had thought of me. And immediately after I got, I'm like, we need to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) So make sure to follow Allie on her website, on TikTok, on any social media that she mentioned earlier as well. For the rest of us, be sure to check out differentbrains.org and check out their Twitter and Instagram at differentbrains. And don't forget to look for them on Facebook. As for yours truly, I can be found at HaleyMoss.com or on all major social media. Looking forward to saying hello to you. 
That can be found at cfiexperts.com. And please be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes and don't hesitate to send questions to spectrumlyspeaking at gmail.com. Let's keep the conversation going. Spectrumly Speaking is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.